2018, we're going to start a church, Doxa Church, at University of Wisconsin at Madison. So we'll get the Badgers now. And then also we're going to be starting, uh, and, and it's almost painful to say this as a diehard Cyclone fan, but at Lawrence, Kansas, and the Jayhawks. And, and uh, so, I mean, doesn't it sound almost like a satanic cult when they go, you know, rock, chalk, Jayhawk, KU, any KU fans in the room? I knew there'd be none in Boone, so we can just talk about that. <laughs> but then, uh, this is the latest iteration of our, of our uh, 1002 shirt. If you guys know Luke 102, uh, Jesus said, pray for laborers. It's his one request, and so this is the newest shirt, and this is the birth order of our salt companies, um, and so Joey was giving me grief because we don't have Boone on there. Well, the reason Boone is not on there is you don't have a salt company yet, so uh, we'll talking about that, but the next one is going to be, you see that? Michigan State, so we're going to get the Spartans as well, so uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. This is Matt Yoder's shirt. It's an extra large, <coughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope that you guys are excited about being part of that. One of the things that I got to announce is uh, you guys had an unbelievable Easter, two services, and over 300 people um, engaged in Stonebridge Church. And God is doing some extraordinary things here, and we're super excited for you guys as well. So as I said, our network is to obey King Jesus. We have one king, and that one king gave us one request. Of all the things that he could have asked us to pray for, the one request that he gave us was to pray for laborers. And we know in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we have the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And so the one command is to make disciples. And so we have the... One request, laborers, the one we command, make disciples, but we have one context that God has given us to do that. It's called the family of God, which is the local church. And the local church has one commission, literally, to the ends of the earth. And this church, Stonebridge Church of Boone, is to be vitally involved in praying for laborers, in making disciples, and literally sending people to the ends of the earth. And that's why you're part of the network, and I'm grateful that you're a part of that. But within the church, there are two sacraments. How many of you guys know what the two sacraments are? Okay, good. First one is in the Great Commission. Baptize. Baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And the second sacrament is the Lord's table or communion. And we're going to be looking at that in our text today. So it's so important. And I'm going to read, us, read through this text and, and walk us through it together. So... Look with me at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to start reading verse 17. Paul writes, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, but when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Now let's stop right there. That is a mouthful. I don't know if you know about this letter to the Corinthians, but we didn't get this letter because the church was awesome. We actually got this letter because the church was pretty pathetic. Most of the things that Paul was writing was corrections to this particular church because they actually were not getting things right. They were getting things wrong. Did you see what he said in this verse? I'm going to read it again. Verse 17. If we, if we stop here, maybe this would shut down most of the churches in North America, right? 
He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you gather, when you come together, it's not for the better. It actually is for the worse. In other words, your services do more harm to the gospel than they do help to the gospel. Did you know this about churches in North America? 85% of the churches in our country are dying and declining. Dying and declining. Think about churches that you're familiar with. And what they're doing is they're begging people to stay. Please don't go. Please don't go. Why? Because the temptation is for them to leave. Why? Because when they gather, they gather in such a way that their gatherings actually do more harm than good. Growing up as a kid, I can tell you this. The most uneventful event of my week, the worst thing going in culture was the church. The last thing I wanted to participate in was the church. The first thing that I wanted to miss was the church. And when do we get to the place where the God of the universe, I love that song, me too, you know, the God of the universe, when do we get to the place that when we gather in his name, it's horrible. It's something that doesn't excite us. And that's the way it was with the Corinthians. Paul actually wrote them and said, I would rather that you stop meeting Do you think Paul would write that to Stonebridge Church? That's a pretty big deal. Why do we gather? Why do we do it? And are we asking the question, when we gather, are the purpose for our gathering actually happening? And are we asking a Stonebridge Church, when we gather together, are the things that God is calling us to do when we gather actually happening? Or would it be better for the propagation of the gospel for us to shut this place down? Well, we better look at it. Verse 18. Paul says, for, hey, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And he said, I believe it in part, for there must be divisions among you in order that those who are genuine, literally approved and leaders, may be recognized. When he begins this book, and we've probably been going through it together, the number one thing that he was frustrated about is they were elevating leaders one over the other, and they were saying, I follow this leader. No, I follow that leader. And what was happening is they literally were dividing the church over the following of human leadership rather than following King Jesus. That's why I love saying it. You know, we have one king, and his name is Jesus. Okay? We don't just lead our churches by one pastor who's the king who basically says everything to get, that we're supposed to do. We have one king, his name is Jesus, and then we have a good team of elders around that one king, a plurality of leaders, so that the church is being led to follow Jesus and not being led to follow a teacher. But it says here that it's right that there are divisions in the church. Why? Because divisions in the church actually is the opportunity for leadership to step up and say, no. This is what Jesus is saying, and we will follow him. But you know, other than that, divisions in the church are totally destructive. Think about your family. When mom and dad are fighting, is it a happy home? It's not happy for the wife, it's not happy for the husband. How's it for the kids? Oh, what about when siblings are fighting? Happy home? 
No, the more division you have in your family, the more unhappiness there is in your family. And what was it that Jesus prayed for? He prayed for unity in the church. And Paul said to this church, there's divisions that are existing among you in your church. And what did Jesus pray? That they would be one that the world would know. Is this church a place of peace? Or is this church a place of division? Is your home a place of peace? It begins in your home, and this is the family of God. It should also extend to this family as well. Look at verse 20. <coughs> Paul said, When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. Can you imagine that? What? Paul writes, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? And then he says, no stinking way. I will not. I added the stinking. But it's in the Greek, literally. If you had you know, degrees, you would see that. What was happening here? Well, they were coming together, together, and part of their coming together, together was eating. But it wasn't a good old church potluck. It was everybody was flaunting what they had in the sense of a meal. And it wasn't that they were bringing wine for communion. They were actually bringing enough booze to the church that people literally were getting drunk. Do you see that in the context? And not only were that, but there were poor people among them and poor people who didn't have food to eat. It wasn't as though they had forgotten to bring food to the potluck. It was as though they didn't have any food. And the gathering of the church, actually the rich people who were marked by the amount of food that they had and the amount of alcohol that they could drink were coming and they were flaunting their eating and their drinking in such a way that they were being gluttonous, fat pigs and drunkards in church. Can you imagine that? Have you ever been drunk? Some of you nod your heads, and, and some of you are just not willing to admit it publicly, right? But have you ever come to Sunday morning church to get drunk? Mm, mm. Was this church in good shape or pretty messed up? Now, I would say, have you ever overeaten? All of us would say, run, 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 yeah. have you ever done that at church? And look how the Apostle Paul is putting these things on the same shelf. Why would you gorge yourself with food when there are people that are hungry? And what's the difference in that? In slamming alcohol until you're drunk. And he said, what an abomination that this was the caricature of the church's gathering when they were gathering for the Lord's Supper. Because what is it to be? It's to be a community of people 
who are not gluttonous, selfish, drunken eaters, but actually people who share resources and have self-control. It's not to be of isolation and humiliation and, and posturing among others, but it's to be a community of inclusion, saying, are you hungry? Come here, we'll feed you. Are you thirsty? Come here, we'll give you something to drink. Do you need something? We have it. We will share it. You know, I, I grew up in the church, and there's just some things that, I don't get. And one of the things is how a lot of churches do communion. It's probably one of the most exclusive times in all of church history. Okay? Hey, are you a member of this church? If you're not a member of this church, you can't take communion. We're going to have this Lord's table, and we're going to have bread, we're going to have wine, but if you're in a member here, don't do it. And then we even go so far as to say, hey, hey are you not a Christian? Well, you probably shouldn't be doing this because if you're not a Christian, you do that. You're probably going to get sick, maybe even die. You know, that's not actually in the Bible. Why would we ever withhold from anybody the opportunity for a sacrament of communion? That if they don't know Jesus, what does it matter? It's an opportunity to tell them about the broken body and blood of Jesus. And if they do know Jesus, that is the people who should be cautious in taking communion. Because that's what the text says. Let's go to verse 23. Here's the warning. It's the warning for me. It's a warning for you. Let's look at it together. For I received from the Lord. Now here's some authority. What Paul is saying is, I receive directly from the Lord. There are times that he's going to say, I know that the Lord said this, and times he's going to say this is my opinion, but he's writing scripture, so it's also the Lord's as well. But what he's saying is, I receive from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until his second coming. Now, did you get all that? I can't imagine. Do you remember the most divisive, divisive, divisive thing, thing, thing that Jesus ever said to the multitude? In fact, it was so divisive when he said it, the vast majority of people walked away from him. Do you remember? You can read it in the Gospels. Jesus said to the multitude, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have nothing to do with me. Man, you talk about a statement of a real cult leader. You have to admit it. That's weird. If you're there on a hill listening to Jesus talk about some pretty cool stuff, healing people, casting out demons, performing miracles, and you're thinking, this guy is awesome. And then all of a sudden he says, hey, listen, you want to follow me? Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can't follow me. What would you be thinking at that point? Here's what I would be thinking. I'm out. 
And you know, the disciples were confused all the time about Jesus' teaching. You think they were confused in that moment? And then what do you think it was like on that night that he was about to be betrayed because he had told him three times in the Gospels, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise from the dead. And they never got it. Even though it was that clear, they never got it. Why? Because they were on that side of the cross. They hadn't seen all this happen. And now he's done this really weird thing. Eat my body, drink my blood, and everybody just about has left him. And now he's got him in a circle. We've all seen the picture or the painting or whatever. It's the Last Supper. And it's just his disciples there. (coughs) He's giving them clear instruction. And in an intimate meal, the Seder meal, he takes the loaf and he breaks it. And he says again to them, this is my body broken for you. Take it, eat it in remembrance of me. Do you think they were having a worshipful moment at that point? I don't. I think they were going, oh my goodness. This is weird. They're eating the bread. And then he just went on to the next level. He gets the wine. Red wine, I'm assuming. Sure it was. And what does he say? It was the cup of thanksgiving in the meal. And he says to them, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he passed it. Are you kidding me? I don't know Peter's thoughts, but we know a lot of them just because of the Gospels. I wish he'd have spoken at that moment, don't you? He had already, and I think he would have, but he had already got rebuked because earlier, remember Jesus took off his clothes and he put on a towel and he went around and washed all the disciples' feet maybe to humble them and to silence them about what he was about to do, because I guarantee had he not done that, Peter would have been speaking. I ain't drinking blood. What are you, nuts? But let me ask you this question. The first time after Jesus had been brutally crucified, And they gathered as a group. And they remembered John the Baptist who in a prophetic way declared about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that Seder meal which was the Passover lamb and the blood and the meat that now Jesus said was associated with him. And now they had seen Jesus be crucified and they saw him be buried and they saw the resurrected Lord. And now they remembered that meal in a completely different way. Do you not think that that first communion was one of the most holy moments that ever happened in the life of the disciples as they took that unleavened bread and they broke it? I doubt there was a a dry eye as they said, this is Jesus who died for us. And they took the cup and I bet they were weeping when they said, the blood of Jesus who takes away my sin. 
It wasn't craziness then. And how appalling was it to the Apostle Paul that this first century church had reduced communion to a joke? And I wonder if today we've not done the same thing. When you eat that bread and you drink that cup, what emotions are brought to your heart? Are you remembering what Jesus did? What are you testifying to when you eat that bread and you drink that cup? Are you saying Jesus will come back? Maybe even today. Because isn't that what Jesus said it's about? Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, remember, we forget so easy. And the older I get, the quicker I forget. And you proclaim the Lord's death until the second coming. But then, look at this warning, verse 27. (coughs) Whoever, therefore, pay attention. This might be some in the room. 100% bad it is. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of Jesus. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without examining himself or without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment to himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with this world. You see what the text said? Do not do this in an unworthy manner. But what's an unworthy manner? Wait, 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 whoa, whoa. Are any of us worthy to take the cup and the bread? No. That's why Jesus had to die for us, because we're not good enough to get there on our own. So it's not about your goodness. So what is the way that you can do it in an unworthy manner? Thank you. You know, I actually had one right there. You could have just grabbed that and unscrewed the lid. You're a beautiful girl. (laughs) What is an unworthy manner? Well, let me ask you this question. Have you brought brokenness to the body of Christ? Did you come to worship today with unforgiveness in your heart? If you're an unbeliever, eat all the bread and drink all the juice. Who cares? It's nothing to you. But if you're a believer and you take the broken blood of Jesus with unforgiveness in your heart, be warned. Oh, 
Oh, we pray. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, open Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sinned against us. Are there things that Jesus would have you do that you know you're not doing? Since you become a Christian, are you still refusing to follow Jesus in baptism? You know that Jesus calls us to give our best to him and our first to him. Are you generous with what God has given you? You talk about an unexamined life. You want to minimize communion. Come up here and take this and walk out of here living a disobedient life. You know what this is supposed to do? It's supposed to reset all of us and say, God, have mercy. I will forgive whoever has sinned against me because, God, I need your forgiveness. I will go to that person and try to restore that because, God, you prayed for unity. I will repent of my sinfulness and I will stop that behavior. Because you died for that sin. Are we intentionally living in a manner that is pleasing to Jesus? Are we living an examined life? Think about it. Every one of us. If I were to say, why did Jesus die on a cross? you probably would say he died for my sins. Isn't that a beautiful truth? He died for my sins. But he lived for our righteousness. And he lived and he died so that we could live righteous lives. And if your intention is to gather in the name of Jesus and not be transformed by the reality of his word, and to come here every week and to leave here every week mostly and intentionally unchanged, then I would say, Paul would say, be warned when you come to the table. Because communion is an opportunity for us to repent. Communion is an opportunity for us to proclaim Jesus is coming back. And it might be tomorrow. And there's nothing like a funeral that resets our life. All of life comes into purview at a funeral, doesn't it? Solomon declared it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. You think, what? What a weird guy. But then he gave the reason. Because at a party, we get caught up in partiness. But at a funeral, we realize how short our life is and really what matters. What are we doing at communion? We are proclaiming the Lord's death. For who? For me. 
I should go to this table and it should be a holy moment. I should take that bread and I should hear the words of Jesus for you. I died for you. And I should drink the cup thinking for you. Jesus shed his blood for me. And that should have an impact on my soul. So, verse 33, our last verse. So, I love how Paul does that. So, he just dropped a nuclear bomb on the church, right? Yeah, and he says, so, here you go, so, so, my brothers, family, here's my suggestion. Hey, when you come together to eat, why don't you just wait for everybody? And if anybody's hungry, don't come to church hungry. Eat at home if you don't have food, get together. So, so that when you do come together, your coming together doesn't bring God's judgment. Actually brings God's blessing. And about other things, I'll give you directions when I come. So he's got a lot of directions here. Chapters 11 through 14 is all about the corporate gathering. But today we're honed in on communion. So I'm going to pray for us. And then after I pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to partake in communion. And you can just get up from your seats and there's the bread here and cup. And I want you to hear maybe what the disciples heard at first time. But I want you to feel what the disciples felt that first time after the cross. And if you're sitting there saying, okay, preacher Troy, I ain't going to change. I'm going to hold on to my forgiveness I'm not going to pursue Jesus. I'm not going to obey things that I know Jesus wants me to do. I am inviting you, please, for the love of God, don't make a joke of communion. And I would rather have 10 people who are truly saying yes to Jesus that would take communion today than the whole church of people mocking the sacrifice of the king of the universe. I pray we all would partake. But this is a big deal. And I don't want God's judgment on Stonebridge or me. I want his blessing. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these things that remind us of what you did. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this holy moment in the life of our church that we could think about your death, your sacrifice, that we could think about our sin and the brokenness that we have brought. And would you enable us by your spirit, and it's only by your spirit that we are made worthy to share in communion in a way that honors you, not defames you, We pray 
In Jesus' name, amen.